Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Welcome to Grid Talk. In our last podcast, we had with us Lauren Faber O'Connor, who is the Chief of Sustainability for the City of Los Angeles. She laid out a vision for the LA 100 Bold Plan to make LA one of the most sustainable major cities on earth. Today we have with us Jason Rondow, who is Director of Resource Planning, Development, and Programs for the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, otherwise known as LADWP. Good morning, Jason. Hey, good morning, Marty. Thanks for joining with us. We really look forward to a deeper dive into the landscape that Lauren charted for us in our last podcast. Uh, specifically to get get to the to the nub of the issue today, your utility, which is the largest municipal utility in the United States, gets forty percent of its generation from re- renewable. Lawrence says you're on your way to a hundred. In fact, you're going to be at eighty percent by twenty thirty. Today, fifty two percent of your uh, generation is carbon free. You're going to take that all the way up to 97% by 2030. Um, we'd love to talk to you this morning about how you're going to do that and to see what other utilities, municipal, and investor-owned can learn. So why don't you dive right in and just say, how are you going to work this magic in nine years? Yeah, and, and really excited to, to be with you and kind of share what we've learned over the last several years with the LA 100 study. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, 2030 is right around the corner and we have the opportunity and, and the plan to get to 80% renewable by 2030, which will put us at 97% uh, carbon free. And so, you know, we've got, you know, the, the framework of how to achieve that. You know, that's the, the study that you mentioned, the LA-100, really um, was unprecedented in its technical achievement um, and really laid out different paths to getting to 100% renewable energy. But we know that regardless of the path that we take, the next 10 years is going to, you know, be very similar um, any, by, by any way that we get to 100%. So we know that the, the biggest piece is renewable energy. Um, and that will surprise nobody. But I think what will surprise folks is that to achieve 100% renewable energy, um, it's not simply about replacing fossil fuels with renewable energy. It's actually about almost doubling the capacity that we have relative to today. So if you look at all the storage, all of the solar, all the wind, all the geothermal uh, that we have today, we're going to have to double it. Um, LAWP is, is very fortunate in that while we're about 10% of the state's load, we actually have about 25% of the state's transmission. So we're very transmission rich. But even with that, we know that we need to really dramatically increase our transmission capability, in particular in within the city uh, of LA. So that's, that's really the second piece that we need. Just on that transmission, how much of that is building new lines versus just changing out existing technology with better technology? Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent question, and, and it's going to really depend on how we get to 100% renewable energy. So we actually looked at this from a couple different perspectives. 
you know, we looked at it from the perspective of, you know, adding new transmission capacity, but also we looked at it from the perspective of trying to really maximize the resources that we have within the city of LA. So maximizing, you know, local solar storage and demand response. And it, you know, regardless of what scenario we, we go with, we know that there's a, a baseline of no regrets transmission investments that we need to make. And the majority of those are, you know, not new corridors, actually not calling for, you know, brand new transmission corridors. However, I mean, there's still, you know, fairly major upgrades. I mean, these are potentially running, you know, new new cables through existing towers, potentially upgrading towers. So it's, a, it's actually quite a bit of work. And, you know, an interesting thing, and I mentioned this, that we already have a significant amount of transmission resources. And so even for us, we need more transmission upgrades. So it's, you know, what I think many of their utilities are are probably going to realize uh, in the future is that, you know, we're not we're not unique uh, in, in our need for transmission. Uh, we're the first to really have modeled it in this depth. Uh, so that that is one really important finding from from this effort. So so Jason, transmission uh, is expensive, and uh, just to bring everything up to date. Um, one thing Lauren mentioned that getting it to 100% renewables has to be achievable, reliable, but also affordable. And there, there's movement in Washington that I'm sure you're tracking to pass substantial infrastructure assistance, a good portion of which is going to go to the grid. Do you think LADWP might be in a position to tap some of those resources to make this transformation even more affordable to your customers? Well, well, I, well, I hope so, and I'm optimistic that we will be because um, we're, I think, leading the way not only in our planning and our ambition, but in the investments that we've made. I mean, we, you know, as you mentioned, um, we're comfortably over 50% carbon-free today, and we will be, um, you know, about 97% by 2030. But we are, we are also making substantive investments, major investments in things like hydrogen technology. Um, where, you know, not only could, you know, funding help support the advancement of those technologies, um, but it could also, as you mentioned, potentially make it more affordable. And, and, and affordability is, is not just important to what we're doing, it's, it's fundamental to what we're doing. Um, the, this transformation not only has to be renewable and, and carbon-free, but it also needs to be affordable and also needs to be equitable. We need to ensure that you know this this renewable transformation does not exacerbate inequities that we have in in the city of LA, and we have a really big opportunity to not just avoid inequities, but actually improving equity and making significant investments in disadvantaged communities. So affordability is is extraordinarily important, and you know one of the ways that we make sure that this transition is affordable is by seeing electrification. That is, the electrification really underpins our ability uh, to do this affordably. Uh, we need to see significant um, strides on, on electric vehicles, and we've shown leadership in that area too, but it's also building electrification. So we're able to see the electrification materialize the way, the way it's on pace to do and, and the way that we hope to see it. We can do this affordably, and that was another finding from the study. Another way of putting this, um, by 
getting greater penetration of EVs and in, into your fleet and to your commuters, as well as electrifying buildings. By creating greater demand for electricity, does that make the unit cost of electricity stay stable as you make these investments? Yeah, one one of the findings that we had was that if if we do see the electrification that we see, and and you said it, you know, making, you know, seeing more electric vehicle sales and more electric vehicle adoption means that we're leveraging the investments that we're making in infrastructure, and we're spreading that out over more units. And the reality is that brings down the unit costs for everyone. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not quite as simple as just adding electric vehicles. We need to make sure that our distribution grid has the capability of supporting that. So we really need to ramp up the investments that we're making in our distribution grid um, to ensure that we can continue to provide reliable power. And, you know, again, this, this it really underpins our ability to do this affordably. So as director of resource planning, uh, you mentioned hydrogen um, and use of hydrogen technology. Tell us, expand on on what role hydrogen might play in LA by 2030. One of the the important findings from the study, another one of the important findings from the study, is that to do this renewable transformation, we need to do this reliably and we need to do it in a way that is resilient, resilient to things like wildfires, um, resilient to things like earthquakes, both of which are risk factors for California and for uh, Los Angeles. In, in 1994, we had the Northridge earthquake where we lost our import capability. So we were not able to import external power into the city. Uh, but we actually have um, four in-basin within the city of Los Angeles or, or close natural gas uh, units, which were able to provide power in 1994 when we lost that capability. In 2019, something similar happened with the Saddle Ridge wildfire. It actually took out the vast majority of our ability to import energy into the city. And similarly, uh, the in-basin generation, the, the generation within the city of Los Angeles or, or, or near city of Los Angeles, was able to provide the power to the city until we were able to restore those transmission lines. And so the study actually found that under any scenario that we get to 100% renewable energy, we need some type of long duration capacity within the city of Los Angeles. And it really comes down to the technologies that are available today. It would be through either biofuels or through hydrogen, in particular green hydrogen. And so recognizing that reality that to do this carbon-free transformation reliably, we need to have some type of long-duration storage, long-duration capacity. And we have begun making significant investments um, in the Intermountain Power Project uh, out in Utah. And what we need to do uh, there is actually build out the hydrogen capacity uh, to be able to store it. Now, in that particular location, we have not just the confluence of renewables. So there's access to solar, there's access to wind, there's access to geothermal. So there's this great confluence of renewable energy. But what we also have out in that location is salt caverns. And those salt caverns can actually store hydrogen uh, energy. So we would produce hydrogen through electrolysis utilizing the 
vast resources, uh, renewable resources in that area and actually store it. We could store it for months. We could store it and, and use it when we need it most. But what we are also uh, beginning to do is look into the feasibility of doing that within the city of Los Angeles, where the degree of difficulty is, is much, much higher. Uh, but it, it, it really comes down to decarbonizing uh, all of our generation resources. Uh, and we see hydrogen as, as the path to doing that. So just complete the loop. Once you put the uh, hydrogen in the salt taverns, how do you, uh, how do you pull them out of the caverns and, and reutilize it? You just burn it. You know, I don't, I don't know that I'd be able to, you know, walk you through the technical aspects of that, but um, essentially it, it, it serves as a, as a, is a giant battery. You know, you're able to produce the, the hydrogen, you're able to store it in the salt cavern, and you're able to use it when you when you actually need it. And I think many people understand the concept of a traditional battery where you store energy for a few hours and you, you shift, you know, the energy to a, a different part, you know, different time of the day when you need it. But the really special thing about uh, hydrogen in, in particular um, at Intermountain Power is the ability to store it not just for several hours or several days, but to have a type of seasonal storage that you might need. And, and where that becomes really um, important for a city like Los Angeles is, and, and for many folks that have visited or, or have lived here, know that there are seasons in, in Los Angeles where you have just, you know, beautiful sunshine um, and very, very, um, you know, mild temperatures, you know, in, in the April and, and May timeframes. You, you may have just phenomenal solar production in the city uh, of Los Angeles, but, you know, folks aren't running their air conditioners. And so what you have is the opportunity to produce hydrogen in seasons like that and save it for July, August, uh, September, and actually even in October, um, where you might have consecutive high heat days. Um, and when you have consecutive high heat days, um, and you have the threat of something like a wildfire or, or an earthquake, we need to ensure that we have the ability to provide power for multiple days should we have an outage for multiple days. And hydrogen does provide that, that opportunity for us. So when we chatted with Lauren, she highlighted two projects that she was particularly excited about. And we'd love to get your take on it. One was uh, the Eland Solar Power Center in Kern County, which she pointed out is destined to become one of the largest solar battery systems in the United States. Tell us a little bit about that and uh, what work you're doing on it. Yeah, the, the Elin Solar and Storage Project is, um, it, it is really the first project that we have uh, negotiated and, and, and procured that has significant amount of uh, solar as well as storage. So it's 400 megawatts uh, solar energy and 1200 megawatt hours of storage. It actually will be able to provide um, solar energy late into the evening, uh, long, you know, several hours after uh, the sun has set. Um, and the, the important piece of this is where it's located, especially located out in Mojave, where we have what we refer to as a renewable hub. We have several other solar uh, locations uh, out in the area. We also have uh, a wind farm in, in that area, and we're able to import that energy um, into the city of Los Angeles through a, um, a renewable hub that provides us 
um, the ability to really leverage that, that transmission corridor. Now, it's also uh, record-setting in its cost. It's, it's below uh, $40 per, per megawatt hour. And so it is, it is extraordinarily cheap, um, and it's going to be an extraordinary resource uh, for, for the city of Los Angeles when it actually comes online in 2023. The other project that uh, Laura mentioned was the Red Cloud Wind Farm in New Mexico, which she pointed out will be, produce enough energy to power the equivalent of 222,000 homes in Los Angeles. Talk about the scope of that project and what challenges it poses to you from a planning and development uh, standpoint. Yeah, the, the Red Cloud Wind Project is an exciting project for us because it, as you mentioned, is actually out in, in the New Mexico area. And so this, this is a perfect example of LADWP leveraging our existing transmission capacity to bring on renewable energy and replace fossil fuel energy. Uh, so this, this, in, this particular wind farm, uh, would, we would be bringing power through transmission lines that used to actually bring coal energy uh, to the city of Los Angeles. These are the same transmission lines that we are um, uh, utilizing to bring this power. And we just uh, recently brought this to our board uh, into our council for approval. It's a 330 meg- 331 megawatt project. Um, and again, extraordinarily low cost. And I mentioned a moment ago the importance of a renewable hub out in Mojave with the Eland Solar and Storage Project. But what Red Cloud does is also offer us the geographic diversity of renewable resources. So when the, the wind production in the Mojave area might be reduced, um, we've got the wind production coming in from the New Mexico area. In addition to this, we have the ability to actually add solar and storage along this uh, transmission corridor as well um, to really maximize uh, that existing transmission line that we have already. So the the goal is um, to get to 80% renewable by 2030. But beyond that, uh, I, I, if memory serves me, I think she said that by 2035, you want to be at 100% renewable. Is that correct? That's correct. So the, the LA100 study modeled many different ways to get to 100% uh, renewable energy. And it also looked at the scenario where we would get to 100% by 2035. Um, and, and following that finding from the study, uh, the city uh, announced uh, a new goal of accelerating uh, the state's goal of 100% by 2045 by 10 years. So achieving that 10 years earlier. Uh, which again puts us on track to do 97% carbon-free by 2030. So, uh, just talk about that extra 20% from going to 80 to 100% between 2030 and 2035. How hard is it going to be to wring that extra 20% out of the system? Is it going to be an order of magnitude difficult, more difficult than getting to 80%? Well, I think it's it's no secret that. To get to high levels of renewables, there's a relatively clear path to doing that. Uh, and the degree of difficulty when you go from, you know, say 90% to 100%, um, you know, does go up. And, and we know that. Um, but again, this gets back to our ability to really accelerate technologies like hydrogen so that it does make that last 
um, more achievable when we actually do get into the 2030 to 2035 timeframe. So there's no doubt it's, it's the next 10 years is critical for us, uh, but beyond the next 10 years, we will continue to need to add more and more renewable energy to keep pace with uh, forecasted uh, demand growth. So it, it, it will be um, no doubt a, an unprecedented challenge for us and, and for other utilities that, that follow our lead. So Lauren and I chatted a bit about the, the extent to which Los Angeles is the fourth wealthiest city in the world and, and one of the largest cities in America is going to be leading the way in, in a lot of these efforts. From where you sit, Jason, working on planning, development, and programs, how how exciting and how nerve-wracking is, is it to be a major metropolitan area in the world that's reading, really leading the way on stuff like this? How much is it going to force you to forge relationships with organizations like the National Renewable Energy Lab and make them deeper and rely on others to help you on this journey? Well, we really benefited from the multi-year partnership that we had with the National Renewable Lab. Um, the outcome of that, as I mentioned, was, was an unprecedented study, first of its kind. Um, and it is, it is extraordinarily exciting uh, to, be, to have the opportunity to um, play a, a, a small role in, in the renewable transformation. Um, and you mentioned, you know, the city of LA having the, the you, know, you know, opportunity to do this, but one, one of the things that we need to look at and we're beginning to look at now is the LA 100 study discussed environmental justice inequity and, and discussed a framework to look at that. And many folks don't quite realize that LA is extraordinarily economically diverse. 47% of the city is a disadvantaged community. So while there is, um, there is significant wealth uh, in the city, um, there is also uh, a, a significant portion of our city that, you know, we can't afford to have rates, um, you know, increase at a pace uh, that, uh, you know, makes this transformation unaffordable for, for a big portion of the city. So not only do we have an opportunity for this renewable transformation, we have an opportunity to look deeply into equity. And last month, our board, uh, the LADVP Board of Commissioners, um, approved an unprecedented investment into developing an equity strategies plan for this renewable transformation. Uh, so this will be a follow-on to the LA100 study uh, that where the LA100 study was industry leading in its technical achievements, uh, we believe this equity strategies plan will be similarly unprecedented and similarly important for this overall renewable energy transformation. So, so this, is, this is exciting um, and, and significant from a renewable transformation perspective, but we, we cannot, we will not see success in this renewable transformation without looking deeply at equity and ensuring that this transformation is done equitably as well. So have you thought about how that's going to affect your job as resource planning? How will the equity uh, overarching goal of achieving equity for the disadvantaged community 
drive your job as you develop? It's it's going to change it. It's it's going to change it in in several ways. Uh, two of the the most obvious ways it will change is the participatory element of power planning and program planning, um, ensuring that the the folks most affected uh, by um, uh, by this transformation have a significant voice in, in the planning process. Um, it also will impact our planning efforts and our programs from the distributional aspect as well. Ensuring that investments that we make in this renewable transformation benefit frontline communities. Uh, we know that the future of power planning, not just for LADVP, but for many utilities, there is a significant opportunity to partner with customers to develop renewable resources. And you see that with rooftop solar, there's the opportunity with things like smart thermostats, uh, and, and now with, with uh, customer-sided energy storage. And often these types of programs provide a great resource to, to the utilities, um, but it also requires that customers have, you know, the ability to make that co-investment, that they have that, that, that money, that capital, that they have um, the, you know, uh, that they own a home, that they you know have a roof that is in good condition to to do that, and so the way it's going to change what we do is to ensure that folks that don't have that ability, uh, that don't have that extra money, can still participate, and that programs are tailored to all customers. Or, or to put it differently, if you come across a technology that would help you ramp up and get to that eighty to one hundred percent renewables and 97% carbon free, but that technology is simply through the roof expensive, this equity consideration will mean it goes to the back of the line, won't it? Yeah, you know, um, there's some truth to that concept in terms of prioritizing the the least cost investments. Um, Power planning is, is, you know, a little bit more complicated than than that because there there are resources and different uses for different resources. you know, an example of that, you know, might be, you know, batteries. There's a role for batteries. There's a role for renewable energy. There's a role for long duration uh, storage. There's a role, you know, in, in the form of hydrogen or other things. So, so I think conceptually, you're right. You know, we need to plan our investments in a way that prioritizes, you know, the, the affordable investments that we need to make today. And that gets back to the, the investments that we need to make over the next 10 years. We know what those least cost investments are. We know what those re- no regrets projects are, um, regardless of the path that we go down to get to uh, 100% renewable energy. And, and regardless of whether or not we have opportunities to pivot, should other technologies materialize quickly, um, we know that there are uh, those no regrets. And, and I mentioned it before, you know, transmission is one, electrification is another, bolstering our distribution system is, is, is another. Um, and again, underpinning all of this is, is affordability and, and, and equity and, and reliability. The, the thing that's, a, from an outside observer, that's exciting about this emphasis on equity, uh, it probably will mean that projects you pioneer and technologies that you champion would be applicable in many parts of the world that might not have the resources of a Los Angeles. Yeah, you know... Um, we do have, you know, a really special opportunity for, for many reasons. Um, but I think us in a, in a leadership role will benefit not just the city of Los Angeles, but it will benefit, you know, many other utilities across the country. 
um, across the state and, and will, you know, hopefully and ideal, ideally inspire and, and enable others to, to, to follow our, our lead in this area. But it, it really comes down to, we need to do this. And I said this before, we're leading the way and we need to do it in a way that's, that's equitable and, and reliable. And if we don't, if we do this in a way that's not reliable, and if we do this in a way that's not equitable, that's not a replicable model for other utilities. So, so it's not that, you know, reliability and, and equity and environmental justice are ancillary to what we're doing. It is core to, to what we're doing. So you're right. If, if we do this right and, and we do this in a way that's, that's affordable and, and equitable and reliable, we'll have done it in a way that other utilities can, can uh, you know, uh, follow our lead. Thanks for the conversation. It's been really great. Yeah, I appreciate the the invite, and and I'm I'm really glad that there's interest in in what we're doing. I'm really thankful uh, for for the opportunity. Thank you, Jason. We've been talking to Jason Rondow, who's director of resource planning and development and programs for LADWP, the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. You have been listening to Grid Talk. Please send us feedback or questions to gridtalk at nrel.gov, and we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite platform. For more information about this podcast series or to subscribe, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.